What's up, friends? This is our cookie making, reindeer shining, um, oven pro Tiffany. <laughs> Hi, guys. And this is my good friend, Josh. Nothing out of the ordinary with him. Uh, I was going for a Christmas tree because tis the season, Christmas is. is happening. It is, and we're getting ready for Christmas here at ABC. That's right. Coming up is our giant, amazing Christmas party here at ABC. Yes, that is happening on Friday, December 17th from 6 to 8 p.m. It'll be such a great time. You can bring your whole family out. We'll All have... Uh, hay rides. Uh, hay rides that actually go back to the future. Um, they'll be returning to the Jerusalem like Christmas narrative of Jesus's birth. Very cool. Super neat. Super and neat. we've got some ornament making. And what else is there? I heard there's got... cookie decoration. I heard that too. There's a movie. They're singing. Yes, a giant Christmas tree. We're bringing in a giant, giant Christmas tree. Record. Hopefully, uh, shows. Sean will get that. Yeah, <laughs> about 15 feet tall. That's that's what I've heard. Okay. Um, you're also probably wondering, not just Christmas parties, but also what about the Christmas Eve services? Yes. We got two this year, Tiffany. We have two. When two. are they? Where two. are they? How do I get to them? Uh, they will be both outside on Christmas Eve, December 24th, because that's when Christmas Eve is. And they are at 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. That's right. Um, make sure you're there. Bring your family. It's going to be in our outdoor worship auditorium. Right. And they're both kid-friendly, but there's only child care at the 5 o'clock service for four-year-olds four year and younger. Perfect. And then ladies, um, today is our favorite things party today, today. at 3.30 in our yes. student center. You don't want to miss it. Make sure you're there. Yes, it's going to be lots of fun. Also, one last thing, just so you know, the Sunday after Christmas, the 26th, we are only going to have one service that day, kind of to give all of our staff and all of you guys a little bit of a break. So that's it. Merry Christmas. See you guys soon. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. We are so thrilled about this season. This is actually one of two of the most significant events in the church calendar as we head in towards Christmas, um, celebrating the birth and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ um, uh, has eternal significance. And as a result, uh, we've got a full calendar with a lot of things coming up, ways to celebrate. Um, some of those were already mentioned, but I just encourage you lean in during this season, um, take a look at some of the opportunities to connect and, uh, and jump into uh, one of our events, one of our groups, um, activities that are taking place, bring your family or your kids out to the, the Christmas party on the 17th. Um, these are great opportunities to celebrate together as a family and as a church um, the coming of the Lord. And as a result uh, of Christmas, we're uh, jumping right into this Christmas series we're calling Shadows. And uh, we're excited about it because we believe that there are specific stories and narratives in the Old Testament that foreshadow the coming of Christ. So we're going to go back into the Old Testament. We're going to look at some of these stories, in fact, three of them, that really point to the coming of Jesus Christ um, as he came in the Gospels. And as we see these glimpses or these shadows of the coming Christ, my hope is that you'll begin to see this thread that uh, connects the Old Testament to the New Testament, that you'll see how th this is all one seamless story and that as this thread is woven through some of these Old Testament stories, it ultimately forms and shapes this amazing tapestry when we get to Jesus in the uh, New Testament and start to see the culmination of the story. And so we're gonna, we're gonna do that together this morning. Uh, we're actually gonna start at the end or near the end and work our way back in order that you could kind of see this thread. So 
you're gonna have to bear with me, kind of stick with me, um, because I'm gonna be a little all over the map in terms of scripture and passages. Uh, but what I'm trying to do is paint a picture for you to be able to see the overarching story. And so we're gonna start with Jesus. We're gonna start at the end and kind of work our way back in the story this morning. And to do so, I wanna go right to Matthew chapter one, verse one, where he begins with the genealogy of Jesus. Here's what it says in Matthew 1, 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Three names mentioned there. Matthew starts right out of the gate. This is the story of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, who is a son of David, a descendant of David, who is a descendant of Abraham, Jesus, David, and Abraham. I want to walk through those stories. In fact, Matthew goes through 42 generations and shows how all of these generations and all of these stories are, are interconnected. Um, but he starts with these three, and there's a really specific reason. If you go, um, go to the, the account of Jesus's life in Matthew, and you kind of walk through that, and you see that play out, what will happen eventually, it's kind of the climactic moment of the gospel in Matthew chapter 27, is you see Jesus laying down his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world on a mountaintop, on a hilltop in a region called Moriah. You can read about it in Matthew 27. That's kind of the, the beginning of the end. It's the climactic moment of the gospel story that Jesus laid his life down on a hilltop in Moriah. It was a hilltop called Golgotha. And Matthew connects this story to Jesus's ancestor or his father, David, because 900 years or so before that day, before that moment, David was, uh, was to purchase a threshing floor. He was to purchase a little plot of land and make a sacrifice for his people, for the people of Israel, at the very site where Solomon, his son, would build the temple, the very site where Jesus was tried for his death on a hilltop in Moriah. But the thread doesn't stop with David. It goes even back uh, several dozen more generations all the way into Genesis to Abraham. And that's why Matthew says Jesus, um, who was the son of David, who was the son of Abraham, because 900 years before David, nearly 18 to 1900 years before Jesus, Abraham was called also to make a sacrifice on a hilltop in Moriah. Listen to what it says in Genesis 22. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And I, I want you to see this thread start with Abraham on a hilltop in Moriah where God called him to make a sacrifice. Leading all the way up until the point where we get to David and David is interceding for his people. And he's called to make a sacrifice on a hilltop in Moriah. And getting all the way to Jesus in this moment where Jesus is going to lay his life down as the perfect and one-time sacrifice for all the sins of the world on a hilltop in Moriah. I want you to see a thread of faith that comes from Abraham down in through David and then on to Jesus. And ultimately threaded all the way now uh, nearly 2,000 years after Jesus to you and to me here at Atascadero Bible Church. The thread of faith that was established years ago, 4,000 years ago, that we would stand on the shoulders of those giants and establish our faith on the same principles that they started. And what we see is that on this mount, the Lord, the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And we're going to see Abraham ultimately make a claim on God's faithfulness 
And he's going to say, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I want, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. If you have your, uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to follow along because um, you may see some things uh, as you read that just jump out off the page. And so even if you just need to open up your phone, but go to Genesis chapter 22. Follow along as I read this story, a story that may be familiar to you where Abraham was called to, to um, sacrifice Isaac. But I want to point a few things out as we look at this story this morning, starting with the original thread of faith that uh, leads us all the way through David and then up to Jesus. In chapter 22, verse 1, it says this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they both went of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father? And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both, uh, so they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And Abraham makes this faith claim. Proof of God's faithfulness. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord will provide, he says. You might recognize the Hebrew words, Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And we, we recognize that this hill was significant, this hilltop in Moriah, because it began a, a storyline, a thread that would be carried out all the way into the New Testament. And I want to show you this um, just so you can kind of get a visual. There's a map here that'll show you in, in um, kind of context where this hilltop in Moriah sits. If you look down at the bottom there is Beersheba. That's where Abraham was, where he dwelled. Three days journey, and that's pretty clear based on mileage, but also based on the testimony here that there was a three-day trip he had to take 
with the two servants and with his son, and he worked his way all the way up to Moriah. And you can see because of this map that Jerusalem ends up becoming planted in the exact same region where Moriah was as Abraham made that journey on that mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Jehovah Jireh. Abraham takes his beloved son Isaac up the hilltop at Moriah and God provides a sacrifice. God prevents him from having to sacrifice his own son. 900 years later, Abraham's descendant David and his people are facing this horrific plague. You can read about it in in, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 24. I wish I could kind of walk through the story because it's really fascinating. And I hope you take the time to go read it. If you read the whole chapter, you get a good good context for what's taking place. But um, David is, uh, is basically petitioning to God for the sins of his people. And he says this, he pleads with God and he says, let your hand fall on me, but spare my people. David is offering up himself and his own family as a sacrifice so that the sins of his people can be forgiven. And God says, no, you're not going to have to do that. In fact, he said, there's a plot of land, there's a threshing floor. And I want you to go to this threshing floor. And ultimately David purchases this threshing floor, um, also buying the oxen and the oxen yoke for wood to build an altar. And he's able to make this sacrifice to God as a substitution for the people and for his own family. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Another 900 years pass. And Jesus is working his way up to the temple. And he says in Matthew chapter 20, he says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over there to the chief priests and the scribes and will be condemned to death. Jesus made his way up that same hilltop right outside the city of Jerusalem. And he laid down his life, creating the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And on that mount of the Lord, it was provided. As Abraham said, it shall be provided, and it was. And we see the connection between these stories. We see how this creates a foundation and a platform for our own faith and our own understanding of the gospel. It's critical that this Christmas when we talk about Jesus coming to earth that we understand what that meant, the significance, the historical significance of 1,800, 2,000, 2,500 years prior to that, the people wandering without any kind of redemption for their sin, the rejection, the rebellion against God with no solution and they kept trying to make some sort of amends. They kept trying to make sacrifice. They kept trying to make a way through the sacrificial system and there was no way to do it. And so we see this sacrifice, this substitutionary sacrifice take place on Mount Moriah with Abraham and Isaac. And then we see a substitutionary sacrifice for for David when he has the opportunity to make a sacrifice for his people. And then we see the ultimate substitutionary sacrifice at the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus himself lays down his life on a hilltop in Moriah and on the mount of the Lord it was and has been provided. What I want to do for you this morning is to help you help us steep, to to soak in um, the truth of Genesis 22, of this story of Abraham and Isaac, because I think there's such a foundation of faith, um, such a baseline understanding of faith here that we can glean from that helps us to understand the context for our faith in Jesus Christ as our sacrifice. And so I want to revisit a couple concepts here together. I want to go back to um, chapter 22, verse 3. First, it says, Abraham rose early in the morning, 
saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went on to the place which God had told him. Now, I want you to consider this. Abraham had just been told to kill, to sacrifice, to murder his beloved son Isaac. In fact, uh, God says, right at the beginning there, that it's the son whom he loved. You may not noticed that or have thought about it before, but that's the first time the word love has ever been used in the Bible. 21 chapters you could come through in Genesis, there isn't a mention of the word love. But in this moment, God says the one whom you love, because God knew this was his promised, his beloved son. Not only that, but this was also the son, the child that would reckon Israel back to God through his family line. This was the seed of Abraham that had been promised to him and Sarah. And so Abraham, in this moment, was told that he was to sacrifice this child. And I don't know about you, but for me, if, it, if, if God had told me to do that, I wouldn't have got up early in the morning. Did you notice that? Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled the donkey, went out, split the firewood, loaded up, packed up for a three-day trip with, uh, with quick reaction with quick response. I would have dragged my feet. I would have waited a very long time. I would have checked my facts. I would have thought maybe God will forget. And if he didn't forget, then certainly he'll remind me. I would have taken as much possible time to respond and react, believing that maybe this isn't exactly what God had meant or intended. And yet in his faith, Abraham acted quickly. I think he had enough faith to believe that this wouldn't end badly. I think he had enough faith to, to realize that God had a plan in this situation. And so with eagerness, he rose early in the morning. Now you could argue you probably never went to sleep that night, right? That if God told you to kill your child, you're probably not sleeping much. But he rose early in the morning, he saddled the donkey, he split the firewood, he got his servants, he went and got Isaac, and then he went out on this journey. And authentic faith, as represented by Abraham in this story, I believe acts quickly. It does not drag feet. It does not delay. It moves. Authentic faith acts quickly. It doesn't wait for confirmation. A faith-filled person doesn't need to ask God twice. I think that's significant in the story that he rose early and he did what God had asked him to do. The hardest thing, I mean, no question about that. The hardest thing that God had ever asked him to do. He snapped. Snapped to attention. Followed through. Took steps. And did exactly what God asked him to do. Saddled his donkey and embarked on a very, very lonely journey. I also would argue that Abraham likely didn't share this faith step with anyone. He didn't commiserate with his servants. What do you guys think? When should we go? He certainly didn't process with Isaac. And my guess... I think it's a, fa a safe assumption to say that he did not talk with Sarah about this decision. Imagine how that conversation would have went. Uh, <clears throat> so, Sarah, yeah, you know the uh, son Isaac, the one, you know, the only son, because remember you couldn't have any kids, and then God promised the son, and yeah, I know it's a, I know we're getting old and whatever, but yeah, I'm gonna kill Isaac. I'm gonna, you're gonna do what? 
yeah, I mean, God told me to kill Isaac. And uh, so I'm going to go take care of that. Imagine that conversation. My guess is he did not tell Sarah. I'm just guessing. Now, let me clarify. When I, when I talk about a faith that acts quickly and a faith that, that is it's sometimes lonely, um, that doesn't commiserate necessarily with others, I'm not talking about you doing irrational things. In fact, some of you might leave here and think that, oh, I'm going to stop by the RV lot on the way home from church because Jeff says act faith acts quickly and I don't need to discuss it with my wife because Abraham didn't have to discuss it. And let me just charge you and encourage you that if any uh, faith step that you believe you need to make um, involves an irrational purchase um, or something illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, the chances are that's not God speaking. That's just you doing what you want to do. And so please don't go buy an RV and say that Jeff told me I could and not talk to my wife. (laughs) That's not a faith step. That's not what we're talking about here. But Abraham acted quickly. And it was a personal decision. It wasn't a groupthink decision. Authentic faith is personal. It's between you and between God. And that's really critical, especially in the day and age that we live in. For Abraham, his faith was personal. Look what it says in verse 2. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. God didn't say, take your wife and take your servants and work through the process with them and figure out who's going to actually raise the knife because certainly um, I wouldn't expect you to do that. And make sure you consult with a few people about it and work through this process of how this might play out and what the consequences might be. This is not a group think decision. This is a Abraham and God conversation. This faith step is between Abraham and between God. And there's a lot lost in our generation and in our day and age in personal conviction. The idea that we could have a personal faith today is such a delicate thing. Our world is crowd-funded, crowd-approved, crowd-fearing, crowd-producing, crowd-mentality. So if you're doing something on your own, that's not what the crowd is doing. Everyone in the world is going to question you, including, at times, your own faith community or your own family. And there's little room for personal faith. I don't think it's biblical. I think God calls us to a personal faith, a personal relationship with God, where there are things he will call you to do that he calls no one else to do. There are things he will ask of you that he may not ask of others. And the world thinks you must be crazy. But I think Abraham would have been hard-pressed in this situation to find even a single soul in the world that would have believed he should sacrifice his own son or believed that, that God would somehow miraculously provide. His faith was personal, and he likely didn't share this faith step with anyone. It was his. And yet, it became contagious. Look at verse 7. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. But listen to this at the end of verse 8. So they went both of them together. 
The Bible doesn't record in Genesis chapter 22 a struggle between Abraham and Isaac. The Bible doesn't record Isaac's rebuttal. He doesn't record Isaac running away and uh, being dragged or hog-tied to the altar. Now, I, I, I'm not assuming that there wasn't some kind of inner turmoil or tension or relational dynamic between Isaac and Abraham that's just simply not recorded. I'm sure this was not an easy process. But the fact that the Bible says, so they went both of them together, says to me that Isaac's faith became that of his father, that Abraham's faith, although it was personal, was contagious and authentic faith is contagious. It starts to wear off on others that Abraham was able to make such a clear claim on the faithfulness and the providence of God. And he was clear, was he not? He said, the Lord will provide. He didn't say the Lord will provide a sacrifice. No, the Lord will provide a lamb. Isaac's not a lamb. The Lord will provide a lamb, he says, with such confident faith that Isaac says, okay, if dad believes, then I'm in. I guess I'll believe too. Now, again, maybe there's more to it than that. I, I understand that. But what I do know is that when you see a strong claim of personal faith, a belief in God, that on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. When someone says that with such confidence, when someone says that with conviction, when someone moves forward in a faith journey step, it's contagious. Other people watching are drawn in, like Isaac in this case, following in the father's footsteps without asking questions, maybe with simplicity believing, yeah, I guess God's going to provide. There's no evidence in the story of Isaac resisting this process. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but it's not recorded. Because I think the contagious faith of Abraham spoke volumes to his son, Isaac. And an authentic faith takes Abraham all the way to the point where he laid his beloved son on the altar, believing with all of his heart that just as he had claimed on the mount of the Lord, the Lord will provide. And Abraham raised a blade that he likely had crafted himself that he had likely sharpened, prepared for slaughtering an animal. And he prepared to lower the blade with enough force to take the life of his son until the 11th hour, the final moment, if not second, before he actually followed through and God intervenes says volumes about Abraham's confidence. That authentic faith is not only um, is not only contagious, authentic faith is continuing to, to be personal. That authentic faith acts quickly, but it's, it's confident. It's sure. Here's what happens in verse 11. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything 
to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. How could he do such a thing? How could Abraham actually be willing to follow through? Simple for me, I think it's confidence in, in who he was speaking to. It's confidence in who he was obeying. I think he had such fervent confidence in the providence of God that there was nothing he could humanly do to interfere with the holy plan of God. Look what it says back in verse 5. He says, then Abraham said to his young servants, so he's talking to, or young men, to the servants, he's saying, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. I love in the NIV, it's translated that I and the boy will go worship and then we will come back to you. Stated with such confidence that we're going to go do our thing. God's going to provide the lamb, just as he said to Isaac, and then we'll return. That he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was going to be faithful to him. That God had made a promise to him just several chapters earlier that Isaac would be the seed, that Abraham knew and believed that God had blessed him with Isaac in a miraculous way and there was no way God would pull back or withdraw his promise. And so there must be another plan. I don't know what it is. I can't see a way forward here, but if God chooses to use a miracle to bring my son back to life, I'm gonna follow through and obey and do what he said he was gonna do. And yet it meant that he laid his son on an altar and raised a blade over the top of him, something completely irrational, something that doesn't make any sense to our world, and left the opportunity for God to do a miracle should he so choose. And on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided, and it was. Even if it came to the 11th hour, God's provision is never too late. If you if you pick up one thing from this message and from our whole series, as we look at these foreshadowing events, as we look at these stories that point to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's that God's faithfulness came through again and again and again and again. We start here in Genesis with Abraham and Isaac, and then we go fast forward to these other stories of God's faithfulness to see how he provided, he provided, he provided on the mount of the Lord. It will be provided. It's going to happen. God's going to follow through. He's going to make good on his promise. God will provide, even if it's at the 11th hour, even if it's the last possible second. And you've waited. You've waited for a way out. Abraham's waited for three days. God provide a way out. God provide a way out. Maybe there's going to be a lamb. Maybe there's going to be a ram in the, in the bush and he never saw one and it never came. And so he left the servants there and he climbed the hillside and built the altar and he's building the altar the whole time, putting sticks and wood together. And he's thinking, when is God going to show up? When's he going to change the story? When is he going to intervene? And he's building this altar up into the point where he binds his own son with rope and hog ties him and lays him on top of this altar thinking, okay, now God, when? When are you going to do it? And then he picks up with his shaking hands and sweaty palms a blade and he begins to raise the blade in the air thinking, okay, now God, now I actually have the blade in my hand. When are you going to show up? And God provided the last possible second, but not too late. There are some here watching in, maybe it's you, who've waited and waited and waited, and you've said, God, but when? When are you going to provide? I believe that on the mount of the Lord will be provided, but when? When are you actually going to show up? And I want to say very clearly to you this morning, God will provide, and it will not be a minute too late. And I can say it with confidence because he's done it again and again 
and again. And part of the reason we go back to these scriptures in the Old Testament to see the shadow of what was coming through Jesus is that God provided again and again and again. He always, always, always makes good on his promise. What's God calling you to carry up the mount in Moriah? What's he asking for you to lay down at the altar? What faith step has he put before you? Are you, are you crafting an, an altar with, with wood, hoping he's going to show up? Are you working through the process in obedience, hoping he's going to provide? What has he called you to lay on the altar of sacrifice today? And are you being obedient? Authentic faith acts quickly, it does not delay. Authentic faith is personal. It does not require crowd thinking. Authentic faith moves with confidence and it becomes contagious. As we look at the story of Abraham and Isaac, my encouragement to you is to consider what the obedient step was. At what point did Abraham decide he was going to obey? I think it was three days before he made the trip. I think he saddled up the donkey and he went for it. There's a powerful verse a couple chapters before in Genesis chapter 15 where God's having this conversation with Abraham and he's calling him to take these faith steps and God has made claims before. And it says in, in chapter 15, verse 6, and he, meaning Abraham, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. If you go back um, up ahead to Hebrews and you go through uh, the book of Hebrews there's a there's a reference to Abraham believing God in his obedience to provide that God would provide and so he could be obedient in this story with Isaac that Abraham believed the Lord believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness that his faith became a foundational faith, a forefather faith for you and for me as we stand here today in 2021, looking back on 4,000 years of history with God, continuing to lead his people, that Abraham provides that firm, solid, clear foundation of what authentic faith looks like because he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so as we, as we respond with authentic faith, as we consider our own sacrifice that God has called us to, maybe a personal sacrifice, maybe not something others are called to, as we consider what that means for others around us and how that might wear off on them, how that may be contagious, so as we consider generational faith and allowing for our children to follow in our footsteps, I ask you just to consider this. Do you believe God? And will it be credited to you as righteousness? Do you believe God? When he says on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Even if it means the 11th hour. Do you believe? 
It's our call to authentic faith. We're going to talk more next week about faith and hope and love and what it means in some of these stories. But as we process through this season of foreshadowing the coming of Jesus, and ultimately we'll we'll culminate with Christmas Eve where we get to celebrate this amazing arrival of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I want you to consider what foundation your faith has been built on. Because if it's built on anything other than a faithful God who provides again and again and again, then it's not firm. I want our faith, church, to be built on the shoulders of people like Abraham who believed God and was credited to him as righteousness, who got up early in the morning, saddled the donkey, collected up the firewood to move because he believed God and he trusted his promises. So his faith moved. I want to pray for your faith this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask God that as we read these kind of stories and we process through what faith is, what it means, God, would you shape in us a foundational understanding of your promises, of your consistency, and your faithfulness so that when we hear you speak, we can respond and react quickly with confidence personally and that it would be contagious for others. On the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. I thank you that it was that day for Abraham, that there was a a ram caught in the thicket. I thank you that it was for David that day on that same hilltop in Moriah. Lord, you provided an ox and a yoke for a sacrifice that would atone for his people and that you would come back to that same hilltop in Moriah 900 years later and you would sacrifice your own son, the son whom you loved, so that our sins could be forgiven once and for all. And when we talk about faith, we're placing our faith in a God who followed through, who's always done what he said he would do. Give us a firm, confident faith in that and grow it in us. In your precious name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us. I uh, want to remind you as you just consider what the next several weeks looks like for you and your family. Uh, we would love to have you on campus at ABC. Uh, we have services at 8, 9 o'clock, and 1045. Our 1045 service is outdoor um, in the worship lot there. And so we'd love to have you join us at any one of those services. Um, and then lots of fantastic holiday events coming up for you to be involved with. So have a wonderful week, and I uh, will hope to see you on campus soon.